couple of different ways of highlighting this scripture for us this morning. Well, it was in 1984, it was a good year, Uh, year Katie and I were born. So I don't remember this song firsthand, but it was in 1984 where Tina Turner asked the question, what's love got to do with it? I'm not sure this is the context, actually I'm sure this is not the context she had in mind, but it could have been a question posed by the church in Corinth that Paul is writing to here in 1 Corinthians. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some of these passages in Paul's letter uh, to this group of believers in the city of Corinth. We've discovered that everyone has a unique mix of experiences, talents, gifts, uh, stories, flaws, hang-ups, quirks, and God breathing into that. And, And all of us, all of those gifts, all of that who we are is meant to come together uh, to build up the body. We know some of the Corinthians thought that they were especially blessed because they had certain gifts. They seemed to have a high priority on speaking in heavenly languages, speaking in in tongues, and and they placed so much emphasis on that one gift. It's interesting, Paul never says, oh, uh, that's a terrible gift, don't do that. He says, but that's just doing that isn't the highlight. That's not, it's not the only gift. It's not one person's gift over somebody else's gift. They're all important. Paul has been talking about the necessity of all the gifts and coming together as one body despite differences, potential causes for conflict and division. And Paul Uh, then concludes with a body analogy, which we looked at last week, by listing a number of gifts uh, that not all have, but all are important. And then Paul makes an important kind of segue from what we have marked as chapter 12 into chapter 13. He says, I will show you a still more excellent way. Paul wants us to see what it's all about. And so as we look at this passage, as we uh, talk about that this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Would you be speaking to your church through your Holy Spirit this morning? May we be attentive and listening. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. For some of us, this is a very familiar passage. We've heard it read over and over and over. I know I've read it a number of times at weddings. We always seem to to read it at weddings. Although this is not specifically about marriage or romantic love, Uh, Paul isn't directly addressing that. This is really about the kind of love that we are meant to experience in the body of Christ, in the church. This is how our life is supposed to look as we are followers of Jesus, trying to to follow Him, to look more like Him, as imperfectly as we all do that. This is supposed to be characterizing the life of the church. 
And so as I read through that, this passage this week, there were lots of questions that uh, were coming to mind. We'll, we'll add to, to Tina's question, what's love got to do with it? Um, and you can use uh, space in your bulletin. There's uh, some section there for writing down notes, jotting down thoughts. Uh, I encourage you to use that. Uh, if you're joining us online, maybe you want to feel free to email or text uh, responses to me even later this week if you're thinking about something th- from the message and, and you, you've got a response, you've thought through that. Um, I'd love to read that. I'd love to hear that, uh, to share that. What questions come to mind? Well, first of all, as you hear this passage, in a couple of words or phrases, what is your own definition of love? Ask for your response. Don't need a full treatise on on love. Caring. Serving others. Supporting others. Supporting others. The fullness of God. Say it again. Forgiving others. So we're going to get to this in a moment, but I'm finding this fascinating that you all have said verbs. Remember that, because we're going to come back to that. That's actually a very important point to what Paul is saying. Now, let me ask you another question. If you want to respond, that's fine. Um, just you know, short, short phrase or thought. Um, when have you felt most loved? Right here? All right. That's wonderful. Within the, surrounded by this group of folks. With family. During times of sorrow. All right. We feel those people around us and you feel loved. When you're listened to. All right. All right, so when you're helping others in distress. Now, I want to read uh, just a short part of this passage again. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to start at verse 4 through 7. This is Paul's description. And listen carefully. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When you hear this short part read again, um, what questions start to come to mind for you? Any questions that come up? 
not guaranteeing I have an answer. I'll say I had questions about, you know, what are, what are, the, are there limits to enduring? Now, I got to that part. Love endures. Sounds great, but are, are, there, are there limits to that? How does that work itself out in really tough, maybe abusive situations? How does that all get worked out, Paul? I didn't resolve that question this week. Other thoughts, other questions that, that start getting sparked in your mind? What about when someone hurts you? Yeah, Paul, let's get, let's get practical here. Humanly impossible. Humanly impossible. Now let me ask another question. Which of these descriptions of love stands out to you the most? Is there one part of that that you really latch on to? Forgiving. Forgiving. Kindness. Kindness. Not rude and hopes all things. Believes all things. Hope and belief, those are two other questions I had this week. What is, what is it? Believe what? Hope for what? Patience. Now, I'll leave you to wrestle with the why that jumps out at you. Why do those particular attributes or descriptions of uh, love from Paul jump out at you? Why do they uh, really resonate with you? <clears throat> now, one other question here. Which of these is the hardest for you? If you want to respond, that's fine. What? Patience. Patience. Jack, that's the one you named as standing out to you? Yes, thank you. <clears throat> Enduring. Enduring. Trusting. You know, often we, we read right through this passage and, okay, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. But man, you start to think about how does this practically get lived out and, and which parts are hard for me and, oh man. Really good questions. But I want to come back to one of the things that we kind of that popped up just as we were answering that one question, that love is a verb. Now, when we read this in English, a lot of these are adjectives used to describe love in our English translations, but in Greek, the way Paul writes it, they are verbs, okay? So, I want you to listen to a, a paraphrase. Now, this is not authoritative or anything. This is kind of my own paraphrase, but it highlights the verbs that are there. Love is waiting patiently. Love is being or acting kindly. Love doesn't pursue self-interest. Love doesn't speak boastfully or arrogantly. It doesn't act rudely. 
It does not insist on its own way. It does not get provoked or hold on to grudges. It does not rejoice or celebrate injustice or unrighteousness, but it celebrates the truth. It bears or keeps holding on through all things. It believes or entrusts all things. It hopes for all things. It endures or remains. It it stands firm through all things. Love never fails. So Paul is not describing a feeling that we have, but he's describing actions that we participate in or actions that we are called to avoid. And this is what love looks like. Love looks like us acting in a certain way, treating one another in a certain way. Right? He, he's, I mean, he's putting flesh onto this. It's not just a whole list of adjectives that we wish we had more of, but act in this way. This is about the ethics of love, which for me raised a whole bunch more questions. What kind of enduring or remaining are we called to? What happens if someone is enduring abuse? Certainly we aren't calling them to remain in an abusive situation, are we? It also raises questions about mutuality in these kinds of loving relationships, that we're meant to be in this together. This is meant to be the kind of love shared within a body of believers. And so we could ask, or I ask, what happens when someone chooses to set themselves outside of the body? And one thing that did occur to me this week that I'm not sure that Paul means to be diving into all of the what-if scenarios in this short passage. He doesn't dive into all of the what-ifs. But Paul is specifically addressing shortcomings in the way the Corinthians have shaped their communal life, the way they have shaped their church life, Paul is addressing specific issues that they're dealing with. And this is why there's a lot of negative examples about what love isn't, rather than maybe more positive examples of what love is. Paul is, is addressing some specific actions or inactions that have taken place in the Corinthian church. And so I wonder... How might this passage look if Paul were specifically addressing Spring Creek Church of the Brethren? I'm not going to ask for your verbal response. I'll ask for you to to take that question home and and to contemplate that, think about that, maybe write about that. You want to email or text me later, that's great. But here for Paul, love isn't just meant to be some abstract feeling or emotion. So love is being patient when someone stumbles over words leading worship or, or things aren't all put together just so or, you know, there's some kind of thing that we, isn't up to our preference. Love is allowing the, the facility to be used by a group to feed underprivileged families in our community. How about that as a practical way of loving people? 
Love is creating space for people to experience the peace of Christ. Love is not forgetting those who are sick or stuck at home. So maybe love adapts to new situations or circumstances. We've found ourselves in new situations and new circumstances a lot here in the last two years. It's kind of an unfolding thing where change is always happening, but maybe the last two years have highlighted that and, and, and made it bigger. So I want you to think about how has the last two years impacted your love for Jesus? How has love changed for you in the last two years when you think about your relationship with Jesus? Another question to ponder, how has the last two years impacted your love for the body of Christ? Our love for one another, our relationships, our fellowship with one another, our growing, serving, sharing together. When I thought about that question this week, I thought, you know, in reality, uh, Facebook. I know some of you maybe are too old for Facebook, some of you are too young for Facebook, some of you are in that median age for Facebook. And years ago, there used to be a relationship status on Facebook that you could fill out and you could say, it's complicated. And I thought, you know, truthfully, I think for a lot of people, let's be honest, for a lot of us maybe, if we had to check what our relationship status is with the body of Christ, we might have to check, it's complicated. And you know what, let's be honest, that's not anything new in the last two years. Relationship with people Relationship with people who are trying to follow Jesus, who are passionate about following Jesus, and maybe have different opinions about what it means to follow Jesus, it's complicated. I also don't think Paul is trying to um, be unrealistic about his expectation in the Corinthian church. I think Paul knows fully well that real life is complicated. It was complicated for the Corinthians. It's complicated for us. A little bit about the context of this chapter. I said before, Paul is specifically addressing the faith community in Corinth. Remember that cities didn't have multiple churches, multiple congregations. There wasn't the Presbyterian church and the Methodist church and the Brethren church and the Catholic church and, and, and all of that. There was the church who followed Jesus. There might be little subgroups that meet in this part of the city and this part of the city. But when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he's writing to this collection of people, this group of people. So it wasn't like they could get upset with this group and say, I'm going over here because their preferences are more my taste. Or somebody at that church did something to, to tick me off, and so I'm going to go elsewhere. That was not a reality that the Corinthians had. We mentioned last week that there are a number of ways that this group of believers could potentially be divided. They were 
could divide along lines of being Jew or Gentile, slave or free, wealthy, poor, wherever their status was. The Corinthians have added in those who can speak in tongues or heavenly languages and those that can't. And Paul isn't trying to diss anyone's spiritual gifts here. He mentions speaking in tongues, with the, which the Corinthians seem to have valued pretty highly. <clears throat> he also mentions prophecy, which Paul seems to value. And he's not putting down anyone's gifts, but he's asking about their motivation. What motivates you? You can do all of these great things, but if love's not at the center, it's this loud, annoying symbol. I can give away everything. I can, I can serve all kinds of people, but if I don't do it with the motivation of love, it means nothing. The problem wasn't the using of gifts per se. It was the way in which they were being practiced to puff up the individual or to, to build up the love of the body. Which reason was it? I don't know if any of you have been listening to, um, there's a, a podcast from Christianity Today that came out in 2021 called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It actually became one of the most popular podcasts of all podcasts who ever tracks that stuff uh, in 2021. And it traces the rapid growth of a pastor named Mark Driscoll and, and I want you to hear this, and his church, Mars Hill. The story becomes an ultimate question of, does the end justify the means? He grew his platform and his influence, and it seemed on the surface that many were coming to the church, and there were baptisms, and there was good stuff that could come out of that. But the heart of the thing was about power, manipulation, and ego. And so just as rapidly as the church grew, it came crashing down. Certainly no one in the podcast uh, that they've interviewed from this <clears throat> situation would have suggested that love was at the center. I was on a call with uh, a number of other pastors this week and um, since we're using the, the lectionary, there was another pastor uh, wrestling with this same passage, asking questions uh, about this passage. And uh, she, she shared that, that someone in their church had been uh, talking about their outreach, outreach ministries to the community and, and the way that they were trying to welcome in different groups. And, you know, just kind of sounds like something that we're trying to do and interested in, some kind of tuning my ear, what does she have to say? And she said someone in her congregation came up and asked her, is our church loving enough for this? Is our church loving enough for this? We put in the most recent newsletter some of the key initiatives that we're trying to work on as a church board, encouraging our, our ministry teams and our staff and our, our whole congregation to be thinking about and engaging in. Part of that involves dreaming of what 
uh, utilizing the facility for the good of the neighborhood? What does that look like? How do we move beyond the walls to connect with our neighbors in, in meaningful ways, in meaningful relationships? How do we work at rebuilding the relationships within our congregation and intentionally value the intergenerational dimension of Spring Creek Church of the Brethren? How do we participate in the healing God wants to do in our community? So to echo the question, are we loving enough for this? And how do we show it or not show it? What's love got to do with it? Everything. And not just saying, oh yes, I love my church family, but love in action. Love that reaches out, love that does something, love that doesn't act rudely, love that, that waits patiently, love that, that does something. I don't think Paul was under any illusions that love within any context was easy. I certainly don't think Paul believed that love within the context of a body of people was easy. And even when there was a group of people in Corinth who all seemed to want to follow Jesus, there were rifts and there were divisions that started to creep in. I think there's a reason why Paul doesn't just say to the Corinthians, you need to be more loving. Maybe it's a little bit like using the word in the definition, you, you, you're not supposed to do that. And he doesn't just say, you need to be more loving. Instead, Paul gives them a list of ways to act. Wait patiently. Don't continue to pursue your own self-interest. Don't speak boastfully or arrogantly. Don't act rudely. Don't keep insisting on your own way. Don't get provoked or hold grudges. Celebrate truth and justice. Keep holding on through all things. Keep believing and entrusting all things to God. Keep hope alive. Keep standing firm through all things. Keep walking towards Jesus. And if we keep acting in these ways, we might start to feel the love because we've experienced the love. So many things that cause division and conflict between people really aren't of real significance. Paul says they will come to an end. If Paul could call the using of spiritual gifts without love a loud clanging symbol, imagine what he might say about some of the stuff that can rip apart the body of Christ today. Prophecies will one day cease. A few people knowing how to speak in a heavenly language will one day cease. How much more you know than someone else will one day cease. But love never fails. Love doesn't go away. Love is meant to characterize our life together. Love in action. I'm going to invite your response this morning. And to guide that response, we are going to uh, turn in the hymnal or look up on the screen uh, to, in the blue hymnal, number 421, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Would you stand as we close this morning?